This is Scott and Margot Colvin, and we're excited about our podcast today for the BACC Podcast Sunday. It's called Three Life-Changing Questions You Have to Ask Yourself. You know, I'm excited about this because I am right in the middle of trying to change. Uh, Margot and I, we're struggling, fighting, working on, and believing in change. And it can be a slog. Some days are better than others, right? Some days I look back and go, hey, I really made some changes there. And then others, I'm like, oh, man, we just need to start over tomorrow. Um, It gets messy. But I I tell you one thing I'm really glad about is that we're doing it together and that we're in it together. So working on this podcast helped us move down the road of change. And we hope that it also helps you. You know, first of all, we're going to jump right in. Change was the message of Jesus. Jesus spoke of change, people around him changed, and he showed how to change. He was all about change. It wasn't about philosophy or moral standards or doctrinal behavior. It was about change. You know, so many of us, you know, oh, I love Jesus. Yes, of course I love Jesus, but we hate change. It's impossible. You can't love Jesus and hate change because Jesus was all about change. If you don't want to change, you don't want to be around Jesus. So we're going to get kicked off with some scriptures right here. You know, um, the Bible is said to get ready for Jesus. John the Baptist said to change. In Matthew 3, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, John said, change your hearts and lives because God's kingdom is now very near. And while Jesus was alive, he spoke about change. In Matthew 4, 17, and all of these are in the ERV version, it says, from the time Jesus began to tell, from that time, Jesus began to tell people his message, change your hearts and lives because God's kingdom is now very near. After Jesus was gone, his people continued to call people to change. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, change your hearts and lives and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Then God will forgive your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So clearly to get on board with the message of the New Testament and with Jesus, We've got to embrace change, and that's what we're trying to do. So let's get to it. What are the three life-changing questions that we need to ask ourselves? The first (laughs) is, what is holding me back? What's holding me back? The second is, who am I meant to be? Mm -hmm. And the third is, what action will I take today? Those are the three questions, and we're going to take them one by one. The first one is, what is holding me back? We're going to come out of Matthew chapter 25 today, and it's a story that Jesus told of a man who had three servants to whom he gave varying amounts of money. And we're going to read it in the message version. To one, he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, and then to the last $1,000. He then left And when he came back, he wanted to see what they had done with the money that he gave them. The first two servants doubled the amount. And uh, the man said, good work. You did your job well. From now on, you will be my partner. So he he was fired up about them. Yeah, the third servant was given 1,000, said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? 
The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I could have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw him into the utter darkness. Ow, that's yeah. intense. I focused on this scripture this week and it really helped me. I learned three things from this that hold me back. And the first is what that third servant said. He said, I was afraid I might disappoint you. My fear of disappointing holds me back from changing. I hate feeling like a disappointment. I hate being a disappointment to myself. I hate disappointing other people and disappointing God. You know, I grew up a lot feeling like a disappointment. It wasn't even anything overt that my parents said, but my dad was just so successful. And my family never talked about weaknesses or failures or sins. We, we saw all success as performance and it really infiltrated and gets into me now. I remember one time when I took my dad's car out um, <laughs> without him knowing it. And we went to, it was at the winter time in Michigan and we went to a parking lot that was full of snow and we did what's called donuts where we, yep. you go fast and you spin the wheel and, and the car spins around. And um, I bent all four of the rims of my dad's car because I went over uh, some some stuff that was there in the yes. parking lot. Didn't tell my dad. He woke up the next morning and saw all four tires flat and the rims bent. He came in to get me and said, you know, I'm not even going to uh, punish you. I'm just so disappointed that you did this. I was absolutely crushed. I remember how I felt to, at this moment. I remember where I was and how I felt. I just hate that feeling of disappointment and being a disappointment. So I can get resistant to uh, people who are trying to help me and give me input. I, I don't want to admit any mistakes because all of it feels like I'm just such a big disappointment. So yeah. that's, that's the first thing that holds me back is my fear of disappointment. A second one is my resistance to disruption. Uh, the, the master comes back and says to the third servant, it is criminal mm. to live cautiously the way you do. You know, I just get really risk averse. I am really cautious, really afraid of emotional disruption. Mm. I avoid it like the plague. I don't want to feel it. I just want to keep homeostasis yep. and keep the status quo in my family and in everything <laughs> Which around me. It works so well. <laughs> I'm a control freak. Um, I want my comfort. I want my stability. And a lot of times it's stability at all costs for me. And so what happens to me, even in the ministry, is I will manage more than I will lead spiritually. I will manage to avoid problems more than I will lead spiritually and do what the Bible says, which is to be a good friend and to, to help people grow. And you know, we're, we're coming to the end of 2020 here and it has for sure been a disruptive year, mm -hmm. but I can feel so many of us and myself yeah. just hunkering down and going, let's get through this with no plan to personally change. And that would be a travesty to me to yeah. go through this year without changing. Yeah. And um, I don't want to, what I want to change is when I get mad when I'm being disrupted. And uh, a lot of times I do that, so I don't want to disrupt other people. But really, it's just being a terrible friend. I've been a terrible friend mm. with a lot of my friends because I've just not been willing to mix it up emotionally and help 
someone see their blind spot, mm-hmm. help someone in a way to grow, to become who God wants them to be. I've resisted it for myself and I've resisted being that friend to other people. That's one of my big changes. And one of the things that holds me back is my resistance to disruption. Do you resist being disrupted? You know, I think the third thing that's convicting this guy says is it, he was addicted to denial and he said, oh no, it's safe and sound. You know, and I know for me and for women, it can feel like it relieves stress to be in denial. Like John 3 says, you know, in the message, it says you're addic- you can be addicted to denial because you avoid the painful exposure. But, you know, I remember, um, I just remember this one time in our marriage years ago, and um, and I kept going, no, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm fine that we're not close, but I'm not bitter. And then the more they started asking me questions, the more I started saying, well, I hate this about him. And not just this bugs me. I was like, I hate this. I hate that. And the more I started talking, the more it was obvious that I was in denial. And that was the first step towards us changing our marriage is me admitting um, what was really going on. Um, and so, you know, so many times, I, I'm not afraid. I'm just concerned. And then I'm like, well, why aren't you? <laughs> um, but then I start talking and it starts flowing out. You know, Scott has learned to say to me so many times, anything else? Because because I get in denial so much. And, you know, women can be so blind to their own, um, their own pride. We can be so much in denial to our own pride, which makes us self-righteous. And it makes people difficult for people to help and prevents us from learning and changing. So the question is, what do you get in denial about? And how is your denial stopping you from changing? You know, with the denial for me, I just don't like admitting I'm a very deceitful person. Mm. I'm religious and don't like owning a sin like deceit. But the truth is, I'm just deceitful. Um, So those three things, how are you doing and are those holding you back? So we learned from this passage, there are three things that can hold us back. A fear of disappointing, uh, resistance to disruption and an addiction to denial. So how do we change that? Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that was wrong with this third servant was his view of God. Yeah. He viewed the master as being hard, as being demanding, as, as being unfair. He had a view of God as more of a, 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 a policeman that was trying to catch him. Yeah. I've got to change my view of God in order for me to change these areas. God's not going to be disappointed in me when and if I fail at different things. He's more going to be disappointed if I don't try. He's not going to be disappointed when I blow it or sin or mess up. He's just going to pick me back up again, forgive me, and say, now let's try it this way. Let's learn from this. Um, So the big change on this is changing our view of who God is. You know, I know for me, this was a big deal for me and still is. You know, my dad, he's an amazing man. He, he uh, was a captain of the Navy. I always say he ran our house like a ship, very responsible. And although now we're much closer emotionally, um, you know, growing up, we weren't. Um, I always felt secure that we would be protected, but I never understood how to be emotionally close to him. This has been my struggle with my relationship with God for my whole life. I know he protects, but building that close, intimate relationship with him where I know he wants to hear what I feel, he's not overwhelmed by what I feel, and he is still an area that I have to work on, especially when I decide to change. When I don't see God like this, when I'm not emotionally close to him, when I don't believe he really cares about what I feel and what I think, my goal is is just to 
to perform rather to be close, then I become anxious, controlling, and expect everyone to absorb what I feel and how I feel it. Sorry, Scott. I have to believe that God is the only one that can handle all of my emotions and that he actually wants to. Changing my view of God really makes a difference when I'm really serious about wanting to change my life. Great. So how do we change our view of God? Well, I've got to read scriptures that show me who he really is and believe them. But mostly I have to pray and rid myself of all of the things that are making me feel guilty, all of the things that make me insecure and afraid. And I can't stop until I shed myself of those things and believe God is with me. God's walking beside me. He's going to pick me up. Mm -hmm. And I've got to talk to Margot and let her dig things out of me and my friends dig things out of me so that I'm not insecure, but I'm close to God. Are you praying like that? Because mm. that is what changes this first one of what is holding me back. It's praying until we get the right view of God and are close to him. All right. So what's the second life-changing question that who we need am to I, ask? Who am I meant to be? That's the second one. And what it says here, God says, is good work. You did your job well. These are the first two guys. From now on, be my partner. The master and the people were happy because they became who they were meant to be. God says, be my partner. They had a vision of what was ahead. They didn't stop and think, how's this going to affect me? How am I going to be able to do it? What am I going to be able to do? They had a vision of what could become. And it wasn't all about them. And so, um, you know, the third guy, the, you know, the reason why God is upset is because he just didn't become who God intended him to be. God has great plans for us, you know, who we're meant to be. You know, ever since we were little he, and growing up, he's been working all every day of our life to help us become who we we're meant to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, sin is what prevents us from becoming who we're meant to be. Mm -hmm. It's not our parents, our background. It's not a diagnosis. None of those things prevent us from being who we're meant to be. In fact, all of those things help us become who we're meant to be. It's only sin that prevents us from becoming that. You know, I grew up religious and I have always seen sin as a moral failure, as a failing grade. Like I'm a failure in life mm -hmm. when I do this. Yeah. Um, so it makes me not want to ever confess my sins and to ever say the truth because it's basically admitting I'm just a failure. I've failed in this. And, and what that makes me and all religious people do, and if you're religious, uh, uh -huh. it makes you do this, mm -hmm. is it makes us lie. And it makes us avoid dealing with and talking about our sins mm -hmm. because we see it as a failure, not as an obstacle that God can get rid of for us so that we can become who we're meant to be. John 8 has a very poignant story about this. Uh, it's in verses 1 through 11. It's the woman who was caught in adultery that was brought to him by the Pharisees. I've always wondered how the Pharisees caught her in adultery personally. But yeah, really. anyway, they brought her to him. And Jesus, you know, writes in the dirt. And all, he says, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. And they all walk away. And then he says this to the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He said, listen, I'm not going to condemn you for your sin. I want you to leave it so that you can now become who you're meant to be. You're not mm -hmm. meant to be this 
this this woman who's sneaking around doing this. That's not who I want you to be. Leave that. So when we change our view of sin, we can become who we're meant to be. It's not a moral failure. It's not a grade. It's just an obstacle keeping us from becoming what God wants. If someone helps me see my sin and deal with my sin, they are helping me become who I'm meant yeah. to be. They are not down on me. Right. It's not negative. It's not critical. If I want to help someone become somebody great, I have to help them with their sin because that's the block, the obstacle, and the wall. Mm-hmm. So one of the most loving things we can do is help each other with our sin. That's yeah. being a good friend. And that is what helps us become who we're meant to be. All right, let's wrap it up with our third question. And that question is, what action will I take today? Here's a great scripture in Acts 3, 19 through 21, and the CEB, Ray Kim shared this with me. It says, change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then the Lord will provide a season of relief from the distress of this age, and he will send Jesus, whom he handpicked to be your Christ. Man, how about that? Mm. He says the Lord will provide a season of relief wow. from the distress of this age. That right now. <laughs> if we change our hearts and our lives and we turn back to God, you know, this holiday season that is mm. so quickly approaching, yes. we will get relief from the distress of this age, mm-hmm. not by just traveling and getting away or vacations, but by changing our hearts and lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is, what action can I take today? And I know one of the things I've been working on, like Scott said before, some days are better than others, is the need to go by the Bible more than my emotions. Um, And, you know, whether it be helping my boys, teaching my boys or helping Scott or a friend, the Bible makes it very clear how to think or more importantly, how to feel about whatever is happening. Otherwise, my fear, anxiety and pride dominate the conversation. When the Bible is more dominant, then peace, resolution, humility, and clarity can occur. You know, gosh, throughout my life, this has been a huge challenge, and I'm so grateful, maybe not at the time, for Scott and my friends to point out to me things in the Bible, but time and time again, it's been a catalyst for change. You know, uh, one of the things I'm doing with the actions that I'm taking is writing down every day what I did and if I changed. Mm. So whatever progress I make, big or small, I'm writing it down. I mean, there's been a couple of days where I wrote down, man, I pushed myself to talk to this person today where I normally would have texted them, or I was honest with this person, I confessed this thing, or uh, some days I've just blown it, I folded like a blanket, I caved, I didn't Mm. do what I needed to do, I was afraid. And then I jot that down, but it's helping me see the days I'm taking action and the ones that I'm not so that I can really change. We don't change without action. That's clear. We've got to change our hearts and our lives. All right. Three life-changing questions that you have to ask yourself. We're asking ourselves and we're working on it. Jump in there, man. Get messy. Get messy and change. That's what this is all about. Have it be a, a great Thanksgiving because we're all working on change. Two reminders for us. The first is uh, take some time to pray for communion. That's that's what's next is saying a prayer together uh, in your homes for communion and taking communion and reflecting and stopping and, and getting that right view of God even now 
of seeing what Jesus did by dying on the cross shows how much he believes in us and wants us to become who we're meant to be. And then following that, don't forget about giving contribution. Get on PayPal or whatever you do digitally to give. We so appreciate everyone giving contribution through these times. And uh, lastly, just a reminder for everybody, use deep spirituality. It has helped us a ton to get deeper in our Bible study. Everybody have a great week. And stay safe, please. Have you ever told yourself that you really need to change something important in your life only to give up in frustration after a week or two of seeing no progress? A study published in the European Journal of Social Psychology found that on average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic, 66 days to be exact. So if you ever felt discouraged after an unsuccessful attempt to make a transformation, just know you're not alone. You may just need help keeping at it a little longer. With this in mind, we're excited to launch a new weekly email series called The Change Plan. Each week, we'll provide you with a Bible study tailored to what you're working on changing personally. You'll get tips and resources to help you stay on track to make your change last. Sign up now at deepspirituality.com change. That's deepspirituality.com change.